Hi everyone, um, great to be here. This is another episode of James Talks and I've got a very special guest with me today. Um, this is the first, actually the first live interview that I've done. All my other interviews have been on Skype with people in America. Today I'm um, in the middle of London, right close by, with Steve Chalk. Um, so, hello Steve. Hi, good afternoon. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so Steve, is, um, Steve runs um, a charity uh, called Oasis. Which works in the UK and it's a network of churches and schools and farms and lots of other things. Children's centres and <laughs> debt advice centres and college. Yeah, yeah we run a hairdresser, um, which we run to create employment and training opportunities. Um, uh, cafes. Um, uh, we're just going to take on a library, the local library here. Um, uh, lots of things. Yeah. Wow. So tell us a bit of the story of Oasis and how that all began. Um, Oasis began in two ways. It began when I was 14. Um, I'm a South Londoner. Um, and um, I started going to a youth club um, in a church building. And I went to this because there was a girl there that I fancied. And um, so I went for about six months, kind of religiously, along to this thing. And then discovered that she wasn't the least bit interested in me because she was 15. And I was only 14. And uh, that night... Uh, changed my life because I wandered home from this youth club to where I live with my mum and dad, brother and two sisters. And it was only a little five minute walk. But on that walk, I kind of analysed my life, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I asked myself the big question, what's the point in living if this girl, Mary, her name was, isn't interested in me? That's a big deal when you're 14, when you know that kind of... Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) unrequited love and all that. Yes, definitely. And... And um, on this little trip home, I went through a stage where I said, well, I'm not going to that youth club anymore. Um, What a waste of time. And then I thought, well, actually, the story they tell me down at youth club makes a whole lot of sense. Because they tell me my my life has meaning and purpose from God. And I was kind of bereft of meaning and purpose, the truth is. And so I decided that I was going to keep going to the youth club, even if Mary wasn't interested in me. And I was going to take really seriously the message they taught me there, which was about following Christ. And I was going to be a Christian. And if I was going to be a Christian, when I grew up, I'd become a church leader. And if I was going to be a church leader, I wanted to set up a school and a hostel and a hospital to provide health care and housing and education for people. And all this came to me in this little five minute journey. Um, you can walk it in under five minutes actually I got in and told my mum this is what I was going to do with my life I'm a Christian, I'm going to be a church leader I'm going to set up a school, a hostel, a hospital um, so that's it and that was it when this happened, yeah. and it wow. came out of the blue What this Friday night I think it came to me really in as far as I'm able to analyse it um, because um, I'm Anglo-Indian my dad, uh, who's died now, was Indian dark-skinned Indian, and could struggle to find employment when he first came here, and always struggled with the fact that he was black in a white man's world um, at that time. London was very, uh, very white. It uh, wasn't multi-ethnic um, at all at that time, or very little. Uh, and, um, and so I watched him struggle, struggle to find work, struggle to find acceptance. So all I can think is that this sense of justice, I suppose it is, comes out of that experience. Um, Mm. But that's my piece of um, amateur uh, analysis of myself, so it's probably all wrong. (laughs) Anyway, the the point is, 
It was a great gift because on this night, mm. I walked into the evening thinking that the best thing that could happen to me was to end up with Mary Hooper as a, as a girlfriend. And I walked out of the evening with a sense of life calling, um, this incredible gift that comes from God. It didn't come from me. Um, Oasis, which we just talked about, was a slow response to that. Oasis didn't formally begin for another 10 years. But from that moment on, I, I was thinking, this is what I want to do. I want to lead a church. I want to be a church leader. I want to tell people about Christ. I don't want to, uh, people to, uh, to know him. I, I care about those who are homeless. I want to provide housing. I started working on a soup run in central London oh, wow. on Friday nights. Um, I got my mum to make sandwiches, and then I turn up here with soup and sandwiches and sit in uh, central London under what's called the arches. Then they've gone now. They demolish well, they've not demolished them. They turn them into a shopping centre. Right. The the arches under the railway. Yeah. And I used to sit with homeless guys until everybody got um, uh, the, the, the police used to arrive and put a water cannon on them, and everybody got soaked. But I used to sit and listen to their stories, find out why they were homeless. Wow. Um, yeah, it was an incredible thing to do, quite a dangerous thing to do, <laughs> um, yeah. actually. Um, but my dad worked on the railways. He got a job on the railways and he used to get free tickets. And so I used to come from South London to Central London every Friday night for nothing to do this. Um, they were different days then. And um, I learned a lot. And so the idea of Oasis was born when I was in my late 20s. <coughs> I trained to be a minister. Did, did theology at college. I was working for a church for four years as a youth minister, but I wanted to set up housing, a school and a hospital and decided that a, a hostel, some housing was easiest. And in 1985, I left my job working for the church to set up a hostel. Um, by then I was married. A year or two later, we got this thing going, covering over a load of angst and pain in just saying, we got it going. It was really yeah. difficult. <laughs> and Cornelia, who's my wife, she said, let's call it Oasis. And that's how Oasis got started. Wow. And that was when that was in... I left the church I was working for in 1985, September. Right. Um, and, it, and it took two, two and a half years to, the, to reach the place where we opened um, this first hostel. And, and as I say, the name Oasis came then, and Oasis has stuck with everything we've done since. So we now run lots of housing around the country. Last year we housed about a 1,000 young people. Uh, we began a school eventually. The first school we began was in India, actually. Uh, but now, <coughs> here in the UK, we run 47 schools. We have 25,000 kids in education. We've developed into healthcare the only hospital we've ever opened is in India, where we work. We've never opened one here. Legislation doesn't allow us to. But actually, just around the corner, later this year, we're going to build a youth health centre, looking at young people, 14 to 25-year-olds, their physical health, their mental health, and their sexual health. It's going to be a drop-in centre. Wow. So, so you know, so <coughs> the work of Oasis seems to, it seems to encompass lots of different diverse, you know, fields as it were because you know we talked about you know there's a farm um so you've just opened kind of yeah there's a farm isn't it yeah yeah well we'll run several farms around the country now um but there's one yeah it's it but well you can look out the the windows of parliament and see our farm 
you have to squeeze your eyesight between a building or two. But it's, you, you know, if you were a good stone thrower, you could throw a stone across the river and wow. into our farm from Parliament. Um, and it's, it's just an acre and a half, um, but it's a community farm, and the young and the old uh, come there, work together. We grow stuff, we've got some pigs. We just had um, a sow just gave birth to 11 piglets just the other day, actually. Wow. Um, we've got sheep and we've got um, some chickens and etc. etc. We're just going to get some calves into the spring. Um, we run two schools in the area. We run um, what, uh, a primary school, an elementary school, and we run a secondary school, a senior school. And um, the, the uh, farming and um, horticulture is built into their curriculum. So this is outdoor learning, it's team working, and also the farm works really well for people, uh, children with behavioural difficulties. It's a different environment and they feel safe, uh, safe there. But it works equally well for the community, for elderly people in the community. People find community. Wow. It's, 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 to me, it's... I mean... I think about what churches are what, and yeah, I'm passionate about church and community. But church is basically community, isn't it? I mean, yeah. And this yeah. is kind of a what I, from what I've seen of Oasis, it's kind of an outworking of that in a very, very literal sense. It's mm. just it's more than just a meeting on a Sunday. It's more than just mm. a building that you meet in. It's a, mm. um, it's it's actually a whole community. It's yeah. Education and... Yeah, don't, yeah. yeah. So, well, I, so I work here, you said we're in Central London, there goes a London bus, right past us. <laughs> um, we, um, this, the area is called Waterloo, and Oasis in England works in 36 different areas or communities. We call them hubs. So they're scattered south, west, east, north, around the country. Uh, we employ about 5,000 staff. Um, um, and 200, 300 of those staff work in this community now. But um, in 2003, that's when we first came to work in this community. Hadn't worked there um, here until then. And the, um, the building we're sitting in was an old church building. Um, had 10 members of the church, mm. mostly elderly. Um, um, half of them are no longer with us. They, they died along the way. Um, the other half are oh, still an active part of the community, a part of the community. Yeah, it's fantastic. Lost no one. And I came to work with those people in my spare time, and I used to preach for them on a, on a Sunday morning, and they'd all sit round. A big old building, 400 in this big auditorium, but there were only 10 of them, and it was cold, and the loos didn't work, and the lighting didn't work, the roof leaked, and, the, you know, all those kind of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and... We just told each other this story of this fantastic gospel of good news for all people mm. at every level, not just spiritual, but social and emotional and economic and environmental and educational, political good news that we believe. This is an inner city area with huge amounts of poverty here. And we began to make plans together. And our first plan was to open a coffee shop. And... and um, the reason we did that is because it was easy to do and it's low skills and there's actually quite a lot of footfall past this building. And so we opened on a Tuesday because all we needed was a kettle and some instant coffee and mm. one or two people started coming in and the cafe over the years grew in popularity. It, it, um, uh, we shut it um, two years ago uh, now. We're just going to open it again in 
in May, we built a purpose-built cafe now. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so it was always in the auditorium where we worshipped on a Sunday together. Through the week, we did, we did, did this, but we, we reached the place where... Well, the last year before we were running it, um, we sold... Remember, we started just with one or two cups of coffee on a Tuesday afternoon. It grew into a thing where we employed a whole number of people. And in the last year of tr- full trading, we sold £125,000 worth of coffee <laughs> to, in the local community. Um, because it became the meeting mm, place. Okay. Everyone And the people came. It was cheap coffee, actually, so we couldn't make more if we made expensive. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's not profit, because you're turning it over no, back into the community. Yeah, yeah. But the point was... We became a meeting place for people. They used to love coming in, sitting down, having a conversation, being known in a community where they may otherwise feel alienated. And so this was all born out of the vision of the church. The reason we shut the coffee shop was because we also, in the building now, big building, as you can see, um, opened a secondary school. So that's in its third year. So we had 360 um, 11 to now 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds who are part of the school here, and that will continue expanding each year. Yeah, the next few yeah. years, we take in 120 new students each year. We run the primary school across the road now. So, all of this though is born out of the vision of the church, and the church is at the heart of everything that goes on. So, yeah, just unpack that what your vision, what, what your vision of a kind of, of a church is, or what, it's, what a church should be. And it's kind of its role in a community and its wider role. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of think, and my theology has developed and changed over the years. Um, I came out of um, a college, theological college, or I went into theological college anyway, believing that being a Christian was um, acknowledging that you messed your life up, done wrong, sinned, screwed up. Mm. that there's nothing you could do about it, that Jesus died on the cross for, for payment for your sins, that you pray a prayer of forgiveness to him and receive God's spirit and the guarantee of eternal life. And um, and I actually preached and taught that, etc., etc. I think it's a really deficit model. Um, uh, I'm not here to, to throw the baby out with the bathwater, in any sense. I think there is a baby in it. <laughs> they, you know. yes. But there's a lot of bath water in there as well. Yes, yes. So um, I slowly, just through being anxious to serve people <coughs> in Jesus' name, this whole thing, you know, when I was 14, started church, became the leader of the church. So I became involved in lots of evangelism through my teens and through my 20s and uh, slowly worked with people who were homeless. And I discovered that they did need Jesus, but they also needed a bed and a blanket and a good meal and a job and some education. And they needed some love and some care and some housing and etc. etc. So I began to see that, that that my task in life had to be more than offering them a prayer about what might happen to them after they were dead. Actually the big concern was what was going to happen to them before they were mm, dead. Yeah. While they were alive. And then I began to see that that's exactly what Jesus talked about. And I, I, because I preach a lot and did so much preaching, I was always, to be honest, from the start, I kept thinking, this gospel I preach is all about 
one day in Jesus' life. <coughs> Excuse me, coughing. So, Jesus is arrested. He's arrested uh, on a Thursday evening. Um, he's tried. And he's put to death on a Friday. And he dies, and through his death I can be forgiven. I read Endless, Knowing God booklets, Four Spiritual Laws booklets, Journey into Life booklets, etc., etc., all of those things. None of them really mentioned the resurrection. Well, in fact, I should leave out the word really. I mean, they, the Four Spiritual Laws does not mention this, the resurrection. Wow. It doesn't. Knowing God doesn't mention the resurrection. Journey into Life, and I'm not knocking any of these things, mentions, I read it yesterday, actually, again. It mentions... It mentions Jesus' resurrection in passing in a very vague sense. Because the real deal was, I'm a sinner, Jesus died in my place, accept what he's done for me, receive his spirit, live for him, and you'll go to heaven after you die. Yeah. So, yeah. I, as somebody who was preaching this, I used to think, there's a big gap here. Mm. I really did. It used to trouble me and worry me. Um, and the other thing is, because I was always being asked to speak at evangelistic meetings and services. Hmm. Um, on Good Friday, that's a fantastic day for the model I've just you know, set, yeah. set forward. But what do you do on Christmas Eve or on Christmas morning? Yeah. What's the meaning of Jesus' life? Well, you got hurriedly get from a stable, <laughs> you know, or a manger or animal feeding trough. you got to hurriedly get from Bethlehem to Calvary. And on Easter Sunday, when you're standing up and celebration, celebrating, you want to wind back time a couple of days and get back to Good Friday. Yeah. And I kept thinking, what's the good news in the incarnation story? <coughs> what's the good news in Bethlehem? What's the good news in the resurrection? And why aren't they in the Four Spiritual Laws booklet? And I slowly reached the point, to be honest, I don't mean this unkindly but I'd been sold a crock I mean it was a very thin um, gospel that left out most of the content mm. all of the days except this one day of Jesus life <coughs> and then I began to match it up with the practice I was doing working with people and I began to see that Jesus healed the sick and he worked with the poor and he taught great parables about the way we should be with people. And we junked all this and turned it into a Sunday school syllabus whilst we emphasised Jesus' death and our justification through what he did. And we began to see there was so much more to this. And that's where I began, I suppose, to develop this view that church actually is Community for people who lack community, which is us all. Community is a way of bringing, uh, the church is a way of bringing people together, centred around this life-changing message of Jesus, which is about life before you die, not just after you die. And it's about mm. our relationships, one with another. Love God and love your neighbour, not just love God and go to heaven. And then, how do I love my neighbour? When you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. When you love your enemy, you are like your heavenly father. So how do I work that out um, in community? I suppose that's what Oasis has become about. That's, that's, I love, I love that model of church. And you're, and you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, I, yeah, so much, so many gospels that we hear are about, just about the death of Jesus. About, you know, that'll take care of your sin. 
Mm. And there, I mean, there are other, I mean, there are other gospels which are just about the resurrection as well, where mm. you kind of forget about the death. Yeah. You know, um, and both are, both are equally kind of bad. I would say yeah. you need both. Yeah. You know. Um, well, they're deficit. Forget either. Yeah. yeah they're deficit. They're not the whole. They're not the full Monty. They 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 leave out the content or much of the content of the full gospel as presented to us through the Bible, and then we run into trouble um, over things as the years go by because people start asking questions about what they believe and it doesn't add up. And we have this huge problem, don't we, of revolving doors in churches. We're always getting new recruits and somehow the churches never grow because everybody's always leaving at the same time. So we're always excited about the new thing but never asking the question, why do people move on? Why don't they stay? Because the message sounds glamorous to start with or helpful to start with, but as life's problems hit us and complexities hit us, actually there isn't the depth in what we're delivering that makes uh, makes a difference. Um, what I, I, I'm not claiming to have, have, that we've sorted any of these things, but the model of church here and, Oasis, and the model that Oasis develops around the world is really starts with this. Jesus came with good news about life before you die, not just after it. And that good news is spiritual good news. Hmm. It's about the inner journey yeah. and the development of your character. But it's also about an outward journey hmm. of service, hmm. of laying down your life. So the good news we bring to community is good news spiritually and socially and emotionally and intellectually and vocationally and educationally and medically, etc., etc. Because it strikes me that that's the model that springs out of the very stories we read about Jesus. He was concerned about uh, Zacchaeus. Even though he was rich, he was poor socially and Jesus comes to his house and offers him friendship. He is concerned about Nicodemus because though he's very religious, he's still spiritually starved. Mm. He does heal those who are physically um, unable to move. So his gospel is this full, rounded good news. Mm. And we end up with various versions of a rather thin good news, if so, we're not careful. Yeah, so what's an example? I mean, I mean, you've probably got loads of stories mm. of things that have happened, you know, why have been working with Oasis? So, I mean, is there one kind of story that kind of stands out for you? One story that almost well, kind of sums up what Oasis is all about? Well, I don't, I, I don't know if there's one story, so I can only tell you stories from today. My brain is like so full of stuff. I know. <laughs> so it so happens that um, just um, just over lunchtime, I, I was um, I was talking to someone in this school, one of the students in this school, who. Um, because of terrible things that happened to her as a young child, she's in her teens now, um, terrible things, that unspeakable things really, mm. um, she, um, she tried to take her life yeah. and nearly succeeded and, um, and is left um, paralysed, in, 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 not fully paralysed, she's in a wheelchair and, and will be for the rest of her life. This all happened long before anybody here knew her. And then she found herself unable to find education and find acceptance. And, um, and actually she became part of this 
school here and on the day we accepted her without knowing anything about the school she exclaims to her mum actually she said uh, she said oh mum it's like this school has come down out of heaven just for me which <laughs> just like and that you know you want to say print that that is our theology she didn't know any of that that's, that's our theology we are a piece of an organated eschatology, to use a theological term. We are a little foretaste of what happens about. That's our goal, isn't it? That's yeah, the goal absolutely. of every church, yes. to live out this good news. Yes. So we are a little bit of what it's going to be like everywhere. A flawed piece, but demonstrating that. So that's fantastic. And the great thing about her, um, the great thing about what I was talking to her today about, was that... Um, just in last September, we took on a, on a girl that another school had asked us to take. And um, she's in a wheelchair. And we were told, well, actually, the, the school she was in recommended she went to a special, a special school, opted out of mainstream education, and this girl's mother didn't want her to opt out at all. This girl never spoke, didn't smile, um, had no social skills, etc., etc. And... Um, but we agreed to take her here. And the, the lass I've just been telling you about, in a wheelchair, mm. befriended this little lass oh, that's arrived wow, at the school. Amazing. And if I... She'd have been around this building somewhere. If I've seen them on the way in. Actually, yeah. If I introduced you to the little, the little lass, she's an 11-year-old. Um, she's, she's now... Uh, she's well known around school. She's bubbly. She's outgoing. She smiles. She's fun, etc., etc. And I was just saying to the older lass that I was yeah. telling you about um, over lunchtime, I said, "This is all you're doing. You've mentored her. You've changed her life. You've brought to her God's love, all wrapped up in you, and she has blossomed and flourished. And you see that little lass." Any day, and she's got this big smile on her face, and she's outgoing, and she'd talk to anyone. When she came here, they were going to exclude her from mainstream education because she didn't ever speak. Now, though, those two little stories, mm. they wrap up everything that ISIS is about. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, amazing. But they just, honestly, that's just from this lunchtime. Because there are 25,000 kids in our schools, and because there are 5,000 staff, and because there are countless thousands of people volunteering for, for us and in our churches, etc., etc., who knows what's happening now? Who knows what stories are being born, are being formed, are being told? It's an amazing thing. For me, it's the biggest kick, actually, because, mm. you know, everybody sure. in life, people say to me, what am I... Sometimes they say, what are you most proud of or what do you most enjoy about Oasis? What I most enjoy is, um, well, look out the window there. You see that guy there? His name's Matt, you know. And um, I could tell you his story. But um, I have no clue what, where he's going, what he's doing. But I know his is a good story, and I know he's on the way to be involved in another extraordinary thing. Do you, do you, do you know? Yeah, it's amazing. It's just wow. It's like a living miracle. Almost, mm, isn't it? it is in people's lives. So, but that's what the church is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm. Yeah, you've sold me totally. And the whole thing is yeah. Jesus-centered, very deliberately. Everyone knows that. It's not kind of a secret. It's um, you know, and the church here that 
the original church that began with those 10 people, um, it, uh, there are probably about 300 adults that are part of that now. So not everyone is part of the church because no one's trying to stick Jesus on you or Sundays on you or church on you. It's simply that everyone knows that the ethics, the vision, the mission, the values, the ethos that drives everything we do in this community, whether you're working on the farm or you're in a debt advice centre or you're down at our children's centre and play, we run a playground down the road, swings and things and all the rest of it, or any of the other things, lots of things. Everyone knows that this is all driven by um, a vision of who Jesus is. And you can find out about it if you choose and you can get as involved as you choose or you can just benefit from it. Well, wow. you benefit from it if yeah. you get involved with it. Yeah. So. <laughs> So, um, yeah, speak, so we've talked a lot about church and what church is. Um, one, of the, one of the big, I mean, you're involved in a lot of projects, obviously, mm-hmm. but one of the projects that you've been involved with more recently is um, something called Open Church, mm-hmm. um, which is um, to do with LGBT inclusion and mm-hmm. more, building a more inclusive church. Um, so kind of unpack for us a little bit what that what that's what that's been about and what and kind of the next steps that you're taking on that well um, our involvement in this issue began in this very building and um so what happened as the story i've already told you is that as the i came to in my spare time to lead these 10 people in their church every sunday morning i'd rock up and um lead a service for them and just pray that somebody we'd open the doors and pray that someone came in. And people did come from time to time, over the first weeks, months. And But I knew they'd not stay. You know, they'd always say to me, oh, that was great, that was great, what you said, or all this kind of thing. But I knew they weren't coming back because because we hadn't got a community that was welcomed them in, people of their age and etc. So you always pray, whether you call it this or not, you pray for early adopters, don't you? Someone who's going to turn up and turn up twice. Um and a guy did. His name's Gareth. Is Gareth <laughs> still? <laughs> and uh, so this is going back twelve, twelve, twelve and a half years. Um, so he turned up, and um, then came the next week. And it turned out he um, had done theology, and uh, that was great. And he's in his twenties. And then he said to me, um, Steve, you know you're struggling with those on your own. Why don't I welcome people at the door? And they come in. Well, that was a big step forward because I ain't come here. So we were actually saying good morning to people. So I said, oh, thanks, Gareth. That'd be great. And then he said to me one Sunday, I remember he said, look, after the service, instead of everyone going home, let's do coffee. And I said, oh, that, that would be great. Actually, we do do that some weeks. But um, if you could do that, he said, I'll organise a rotor, if you like. And I get some of it. So he did that. And um, anyway... Um, a few weeks later, he sits down with me and he says, well, well, there's something you should know about me. I'm gay. Does that make a difference? Mm-hmm. Well, he's the only person who's making, welcoming people and making their coffee. Mm-hmm. What am I going to say? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> So I say, Karen, you are a great coffee maker. You are a great welcomer. Whether you're gay or straight makes absolutely no difference to me. 
It really doesn't. Thank you for what you're doing and the way you're serving the church in that. <coughs> anyway, I slowly got to know him. And, um, and because I told, told him that he was welcome, he started bringing one or two friends who were gay and being thrown out of churches. That was his story. He'd been in a, a new church. Mm. And uh, they'd come up with a load of theology about why gay people couldn't be gay in order to convert to being straight, you know. Yeah. And that they were going to pray for your healing and <coughs> drive out the gayness type of thing. And, and Gareth had endured that and it hadn't worked. It hurt him a lot emotionally, but it, of course it hadn't worked because he's gay. You know, some people are right-handed, some people are left-handed, some people are straight, some people are gay. It's our nature, isn't it? It's who we are. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. so he began bringing his friends. Well, you turn, reject them and turn them away and you get to know them. And the problem is, most of the time, you know, the Quakers have got a great saying. They say, an enemy is a friend whose story you've never learned. That's a great phrase. Yes, it is, isn't it? Because then you find that in life, when you get to know the other, the person you're suspicious of, that you despise, and you know them as a human being, <coughs> find out their story, all the myths vanish. And yeah. you discover the beauty in this person. And I think that's a genuine problem uh, for whole branches of the church. Actually, they don't know any gay people. They tell you they do. But they don't, they're not their friends. They don't actually know them. Mm-hmm. They don't know their pain, their struggle. And so that's how the journey started for us. And then as schools developed, of course, we were also in a place where if you've got 25,000 kids, how many of those are gay or will be gay one day? Do you know? One of the things I've learned is... And I'm sure you know from friends, you know that are gay or lesbian, etc. But their understanding of sexuality doesn't dawn in till puberty and through their teens. Mm. But you can talk to so many people who say, you know, when I was five (laughs) or six or seven, I knew I was different. You know, I didn't giggle when all the other boys were giggling about girls. I, I wonder what they're giggling about. So we can spot kids. We know that it's going to be a decade before they understand who they are and our job is just to nurture everyone and care for people. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, we want to pro- provide a protective environment for them. And so that's um, what we did. And so I wrote about this issue because we want... <coughs> Everyone who's part of Oasis to know that they are respected, loved, safe, cared for, whatever their sexuality. Mm-hmm. So that's how this whole road began. And so what are you, so what was, um, so last year you had a, an, an event, a two-day mm-hmm. uh, event, which I actually, I, I, was, I went to, um, called Open Church, mm-hmm. where we talked about, we had a lot of speakers and People like um, Vicky Beeching and um, uh, Tony Campolo mm. was there, and also yourself and other people <coughs> talking about this issue in more depth. Um, and I remember going there, and I remember on the, the last day, we um, I think just before we left, we sang a worship song together. Mm. And it was very powerful because there were people of all different genders, mm. different sexual sexual preferences, mm. um, different races. Mm. Um, Everything, all kind of every different background you could probably think mm. of, mm. all worshiping God together. Mm. And I mean, that was quite a powerful moment for me. That was like mm. I, 
when I when I when that was happening, I was thinking, this is what church should be like. Mm. This is what mm. you know, if you call it church, like what we talked about as church, a community of people following Jesus should be mm. like. Yes, everybody together, mm. just worshiping yeah. God together without any prejudices or mm. fears or anything like mm. that. Um, and now, I mean, this year you're holding another event, aren't you? Um, kind of follow up event. Yeah. Um, rather originally titled Open Church 2016. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yes, but the reason we ran that event last year is because when we came out, as it were, which was kind of three, three and a half, four years ago now, I wrote about what I uh, now believed and, and my how I thought that's actually a more authentic, authentic reading of Old and New Testament anyway. Um, um, uh, that caused lots of controversy obviously it does and not everyone's there in, in that place and until I got in that place I wasn't in that place so I don't want to judge anybody who's not in that place at all um, and we felt it would be helpful to run a conference and about 300 plus people came from a, around the country Christian leaders and we just talked the theme was really what does the Bible say about this we were looking at understanding the Bible this year, we wanted to move on from there. So yeah. this year's um, conference, which takes place Friday the 3rd and Saturday the 4th of June here in central London, isn't about what does the Bible say about this. Uh, we will cover that. But it's much more about, so what does an inclusive church look like? What practices does it have? And seen as the fact uh, that um, so many people in society believe that the church is against them if they're gay or lesbian. It's the last place they go. How do we go about bridging that divide, healing that divide, and sending uh, messages that are different? How do we go about being truly inclusive? You know, there's loads of churches in this country, and I know the states around the world, that tell you they're inclusive on their website, but their inclusion is you can come along and then a few weeks in we'll tell you it's okay to be gay as long as you never tell anyone or don't express it, and actually we'd like you to go on this course which will um, mm. reverse engines for you and you'll come out straight. And So that's not inclusion at all, is it? No, no that's uh, not inclusion no, at all. No, it's no. abuse, actually. Um, yeah, that's, it uh, is. Yeah, it yeah. is abuse. Um, it's dressed up as anything, but that's and, what, you know, yeah, it's like and say, no, we're not homophobic. Yes, you are yes. homophobic. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you know, trying to like, check, you're basically trying to force someone yeah, to be somebody that yeah, they're not. Yeah, yeah. And that's... You know, so that's what we're going to... So this year's conference, it will look at the biblical material again, because I'm sure there'll be lots of people here who have not been before, and that's important for them. Uh, but we're going to look at how to build churches that really are inclusive. We're really fortunate because one of the leaders of what's called Public Health England is going to speak, um, and uh, he, um, Public Health England, which you know, a huge body in this country, looking at public health messages, uh, they they say that the church's narrative, which is a negative one around gay, uh, um, uh, lesbian, transgender, bisexual people. Is has been one of the most crushing influences to do with their um, mental health. As you know, um, people who are of other sexualities other than heterosexuality are far more likely to commit suicide or have serious mental health issues, eating disorders, etc., etc., self-harm, uh, depression. And, and Public Health England say 
the church can't run away from the fact that just because these people don't go to church, it's nothing to do with them. People don't go to church because the narrative, the negative narrative of the church is so well known and understood in community. So that people grow with a sense of depression because I'm not acceptable. So we've got to own up to this. It's time to be honest mm. and it's time to send clear, positive messages. The other thing, of course, is that if you reject everyone who's of other sexualities, you never have an, the moral opportunity to sit down with them and offer them guidance. Um, That's right. Yeah. So you forfeit your right to speak into their lives. In this church, you know, a, a, a couple, um, uh, who, um, a gay couple who want to, want to get married later this year, um, uh, you know, it's a young church, so there's always couples that want to get married. Um, last week, um, I sat on one night with a heterosexual couple that want to get married. They're going to get married in April, and, you know, we talk, I'm talking to them about their wedding, but I'm talking to them about marriage and their relationship and the depth of their relationship and building resilience into that relationship. And I was talking with this a gay couple whom I also love. They're a fantastic part of the church, um, they're very involved in the prayer ministry that we operate here and talking to them about their marriage and resilience and building that in. Mm. And it so happens uh, they've been telling some friends of theirs this. And um, last weekend, somebody said to me, it's incredible, someone else said to me, I can't believe that there's a church that actually offers to people real guidance and real advice, gay people, about their lives. That just doesn't happen. Mm. Well, we've got to change all that, and that's what open churches yeah, are. That's, that yeah. Is, yeah, I mean, that we, we definitely need more of this, because you're absolutely right about all this kind of thing happening. And it's, it's damaging, because when you tell... I mean, you know this as well. When you tell somebody that their sexuality is wrong, in the inverted mm. commas, you're basically saying that a part of who they are is invalid and doesn't, yeah. and they can't, part of themselves they can't actually change in that they were yeah. just and, how they were born. And a core part of themselves as well. So I'm heterosexual, you know, I, I am. Um, and um, I look out the window and I see uh, a, a pretty woman walking past and I go, oh, she looks great. Yeah. That will happen all the time. Yeah. And I don't think two things about it and move on. Um, I was with a very well-known, um, charismatic, in every sense of the word, church leader um, last year, and he, uh, a, a very glamorously dressed woman, woman came into the restaurant where we were, and um, he was actually saying grace for the meal, and he paused and stopped and I looked up at him you know because I was shut and I saw his eyes following this woman <laughs> with a skimpy, skimpy dress on across this restaurant oh, and now, now I'm not judging him about that at all all I'm saying is he's built into the core of it's who a, we are yeah. but if I'm a gay man right, and I'm told don't have a relationship don't do anything but actually the core of me is attracted to men and so I go through every day wanting to pluck my eyes out because every time I open them I'm, I'm, I'm tempted 
I'm not saying every you'd you follow yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. And, but then what does that do? Because actually, even if my eyes aren't plucked out, I'm going to dream. This is my longing. And the church just tells people that this is wrong and sinful. It is diabolical in the yeah. genuine yeah. sense of the word diabolical. Yeah, so I, I completely yeah. agree with you. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I've, got a lot of, yeah. I've got a lot of gay friends, you know, mm. who are Christians. I'm actually I'm friends with Gareth as well, mm. the Gareth, oh, Gareth, right. Gareth Street. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, and we've got we've got gay couples, we've got gay couples in our church with with children and, mm. and things, and they're they're all welcome, you know, and that's how it should be. There's no issue made of it at all. There's no, you know, there's no what ex gay therapy or whatever no. that people talk about. There's none of that. They're just welcomed no. as they are. Yeah. And to me, that's about, I mean, the core of the Christian faith is about grace, mm. about saying you are enough, you belong, you are loved as as you are. Yeah. Not because of what you do, not because of. Yeah. Yeah, not because of how you live, not because of, mm. not because of what talents you yeah. have or your achievements. You're just love because and you are... And here's the thing. So if you take evangelical churches, of course that message should apply to all churches, but you take evangelical churches and they tell you that, that evangelical is, means good news. And they say, oh yes, we agree with all of that. As you know, Oasis wasn't just asked to, was forced to leave the Evangelical Alliance in this country mm. a couple of years ago. Um, we didn't leave by choice because I am an evangelical. We were told we were not, not acceptable and our membership was withdrawn. Mm. So where's the good news in that? Yeah. Uh, even if you don't... I'm not asking everyone to agree, but we've got to be able to have the conversation like we're having now. Yeah. But yeah, there are very many churches... Of course, that was really all about money. I'm sure I'm not supposed to say that, but it is. You know, there's pressure put on from yeah. this group who don't like this, and they're going to leave if that doesn't happen. And well, you've just seen it in these last few days played out in Anglicanism, yeah, haven't you? Because the American Church was censored um, and and punished by um, global Anglicanism um, because you've got to keep everyone on board. And then the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, hours later, apologises to all gay people for the way in which Anglicanism has treated them. Mm. Well, of course Justin's doing that because the whole thing is about keeping these other guys on board who say, well, unless I get out my, my own way, I'm marching out the door. So actually you punish, you punish the gentle person. You punish the person who'll take the blow and not fight back. You punish the person who's more liberal, less fundamentalist. That yeah. always happens. I mean, yeah, for, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me as well, I mean, inclusive church. I mean, for me, I'll ask, I'll ask you what you think it is in a minute, maybe. But I think it's about saying we can be community, even if we're all different, even if we... Even if we have different theological beliefs, mm. that we can all live in community, be in community, be friends, mm. have fellowship, serve mm. serve our you know our wider community mm. um, like Oasis does. Mm. But even if we disagree on different parts of theology, we can still love each other. Mm. We can still serve each other and still mm. say, okay, I might disagree with you on that. I might disagree with that part of your life, but I still love you. Well, You're that, still my brother or sister. You yeah. know. Well, that has to be in the end, what life's about and what di- is what dialogue's about. And because otherwise, no two, two churches would ever speak to each any, 
hoodwink each other anyway, would they? Mm. Denominations, because each denomination, and actually each church in each denomination, and actually each person within each church in each denomination, we've got our own takes on things. In the end, we do all work together. Dialogue isn't me telling you what I believe whilst you're thinking of your answer to tell me what you believe. And so we have two one-way conversations going on at the same time. Yeah. I fire my shots at you, trying to convert you to my view, and you fire your shots at me. Dialogue is when I really sit in a room and I listen to you and you listen to me and our prayer and our hope is that somehow we're both going to come out of this room changed, more mature, deeper, yeah. more respectful people. And unless that happens, we're kidding ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, one th- just a couple of <coughs> final thoughts. I mean, there's probably a lot of straight and gay people who are um, in churches where this is difficult for them. Um, and you know, you've talked about how this conference is going to be something about practical outworking. But are there any kind of small small practical things that maybe people can do who are either kind of feel outside of church or are feeling like they're in a church where you know, they have, maybe they have gay friends and they can't invite them or uh, they just, just disagree with the theology and they know but they but they kind of can't find another place to go. Um, what what they could do practically to kind of build a more inclusive church. <coughs> well, one of the things, and I don't say this, like if people are here and they can afford to get here for June the 3rd and 4th to central London, to, to Oasis, it, those would be the two great, two great days to be part of. Oh, yeah. One of the things we're going to do is produce a charter. Um, we're not sure if we'll call it a charter yet, but it will be up for churches that are inclusive, that they can put on their website that will be explicit and clear. So this will be a resource for churches. We've produced some resources to back that up. So watch out for the resources and the charter coming out of a, um, the Open Church 2016 conference because they'd be practical tools <coughs> for local communities and local churches. On, on, on a personal note, what I would say is this. Um, every person, gay or straight, lesbian or bisexual or whatever every person, we're all in different places um, by temperament or just by the stage we are in life and what's going on around us we're either more or less resilient so the message for some um, uh, LGBT people who are in a church where it's a real struggle well they know what the answer is they know, tell you what the answer is I should be staying here and I should be serving and I should be turning around because this is what I I feel called to everyone needs support and you need to be hearing that from your friends who support you and get support in staying but then some people they're just not in the place in life or of the temperament where they can stay and and they shouldn't their whole life put them through themselves through this kind of terrible kind of trial of sticking with people who don't like them despise them and talk about them behind their back. And I think there are times when, simply, again, with taking advice from friends, hearing God through your friends, 
leave and go to a church or a community where you will be accepted. I don't think it's one size fits all. No, I agree. Um, I, I it's, it's who are you and what part, what point are you in your life? How strong do you feel? How protected do you feel? Um, I'm one of those people who um, I'm well supported by loads of friends. So, you know, so why did I stand up and, and say in the first place, I don't, you know, when I stood up as an evangelical church leader and said, hang on a minute, I'm for gay people, not against them in this sense. I mean, no one had, no one had done that. And everybody said, when you do that, it's going to all explode. Well, it, within minutes, literally minutes, it had, you know, and uh, the hostilities being huge. But I knew I was supported by friends. I'd thought about it before. And I'm at a place in my life and of a particular character where it's not easy to do, but I can do it. But it's not what I'd recommend to everyone. Hmm. And I have many friends who are church leaders who come and tell me, the last person yesterday sat on that chair right there. Uh, He came, it's a vicar, and he said, Steve, he said, I didn't really know him, he'd asked to come and see me, and he said... I wanted to just come and say thanks for taking the shots for us all because I couldn't. But I'm totally with you and our church is with you. But we can't stand up and say those things. I understand that. Yeah. I'm not more of a leader than he is. He's in a different place to me. Mm. So don't, don't beat yourself up about not being able to do what you can't do and find support. That's good. Yeah. Wow, this has been really, really great. Um, so just to finish up, um, a word of encouragement maybe to people who are listening who are um, just on a journey of you know, faith, what we've talked about in terms of church and the role of church and mm-hmm. what we've talked about in terms of LGBT inclusion. Mm-hmm. Just a word, maybe a word of encouragement to people who are kind of being challenged on their own, yeah. their own, their own journey. Yeah. Well, I, I think I, I, I'd, I'd say this, James. I genuinely believe. You know, I'm on a journey. We're all on a journey. Even if I say I've arrived and and the position I've got to is final, it's still transitional. Mm. If I say it's permanent, it's still provisional because life changes. And if I say I've reached this place of permanence, well. I'm, I'm hoping that tonight, in the dis- I'm involved in this discussion tonight, I'll learn something, I'll hear something new. I'm hoping that over these next few months and this next year, I'm going to journey on and grow. So we're all on a journey. So I think the first thing is, I'd say, the vulnerability of feeling that you're on a journey and you don't know all the answers is, to put it more simply, being human. We're all we're all in that place. So don't despise the journey. Embrace it. It's what it is to be alive. I think that um, uh, I think the other thing I'd say is make sure uh, I try to make sure that I surround myself with those with whom I can be honest mm. and whom I can talk. Strikes me that the church should be an ongoing dialogue and debate all the time. You know, I say to my, my friends here at the church very often we think a good sermon too many churches think a good sermon is one with a load of great jokes and illustrations with which you and you agree with everything actually a really great sermon 
is one that makes you think and question mm -hmm. and yeah. debate. And you're still talking about it the next weekend. You go, nah, yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that. I really agree with that. That's made me think about this. This has pushed me. So um, to question, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what the Bible calls us to do. That's what the life of Jesus calls us to do. That is what it is to be alive. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you so much, Steve, for um, coming on. It's been such so great to talk to you. I think we could probably have talked for a lot longer. But, um, uh, yeah, thank you for uh, talking. And, yeah, so you can connect. Well, how can we connect with you? Uh, people want to connect with you. Um, the, the, our website is oasisuk.org. <laughs> Um, can I apologise at the end for coughing through this whole thing? Uh, to, I've got asthma. But um, oasisuk.org, www.oasisuk.org. Um, on Twitter, I'm uh, just at Steve Chalk all the way through on Twitter, and that will a way of introducing you to things that Oasis is doing. If you look on, uh, if you Google Oasis, Oasis UK, you'll find out we've got endless websites that talk about endless things and they give you news of all the events etc that we're doing fantastic thank you steve it's been great having you on thank you